Before we jump into today's episode, we want to talk to you about Internet Church. Rich, what is Internet Church? Oh, it's only the best internet gathering this side of the Kailua River. Is the Kailua River a thing? Maybe we should start over. <laughs> let's let's do it again. Ask me again. <laughs> no, let's leave it in. Now no, no, let's talk about Internet Church. Uh, internet Church. Actually, it's a thing we do every other Friday night where we all gather together, uh, encourage the saints in truth. It's uplifting. It's edifying. It's just a time to gather for about an hour on a Friday night or day, depending what part of the world you're in, just to be encouraged by the saints. You you think you would like something like that? Is the Pope Catholic? Uh, you bet your sweet bippy the Pope is Catholic. And uh, Justin, Internet Church is all about gospel freedom. It's good. I'm trying to think of the follow-up question. <laughs> oh, I'm like, man, this thing is lagging. Uh, all right. If No. Absolutely love it. So if you were going to... No. What are we going for? Are we trying to be funny or are we trying to be serious? I don't know. I I mean, whatever. I, we're trying to let people know that... Oh, <laughs> I'm not as gifted as you are in this department, my friend. So join us every other Friday night, 8 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern. If you are international and want to add that to your calendar so you don't have to do all the time conversions, head on over to lovereality.org slash circles and add the Internet Church Circle to your calendar. We talked about the law. It is this is this thing that's here to increase sin or at least the awareness of our sins. And so what happens when we're under the law is we're constantly berated with how we're falling mm-hmm. short of the law and how we're making these mistakes. Welcome back to The Move, where we are vibing with the text, with the book. With the book. book. Got it wrong. Why did we choose book over text? I don't know. You made that decision. I thought book sounded more contemporary than text. Text has like that religious connotation, which... um, Plus, it's called the book. It's true. I guess the literal name. Yeah. So we're vibing with the book 10 minutes at a time. Whether it was the right decision or not, who knows, but it's what we're doing. Yeah, so welcome back. Yeah. For the next 10 minutes in the book, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. Yeah, yeah. And I'm excited about it, but I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to read it. Did you read it? Did you read it? So please go read that. And while you're there, before and or after... Press the subscribe button, the like button, leave a comment, interact, whatever. Yeah. yeah. All right. Welcome back. Ten minutes there it is. is starting in three, two, one, go. So, Justin, now that I believe that I'm in Christ and I'm free from sin, like you said, <laughs> what happens when I sin again? Or how I, I, you tell me I'm free from sin, but I feel like sin still reigns. Yeah. And that's okay. Because that is the reality of the thing. And this is what exactly, exactly what Paul is wanting to comment on. This is how he starts this passage. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. In other words, Paul is acknowledging that sin is still a present temptation. I was going to use the word reality, but maybe that's not the best word. Yeah. That sin is still this thing that Christians must contend with. Uh-huh. There still is sin out there in the world. It's still something worth paying attention to. And it's still worth something worth resisting. Mm-hmm. And But that resisting doesn't have to be like this upward hill, this upward battle, like, oh, it's super hard for mm-hmm. me to overcome because we're not 
we're not we're not bound by the condemnation of it. We're not bound by the power of it. We're free from that sin. Yes, yes. I would concur. I would challenge some of those notions. Okay. Here's where I would challenge those notions is that the thought mind, the thought life is no longer one that even relates and thinks primarily or even with a whole bunch of time around sin. Right. So the Old Testament idea of the sanctuary, the sanctuary is this house slash tent fashioned after royal war war tents. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that went into battle with the military. So oh, okay. I can the military would camp around the royal tent, which the king was housed in, and the king had inner chambers that were the most holy place. Right. And then he had an outer chamber that was where all of his was cabinet, it actually called the most holy place uh, in his war times? I don't know. Uh, but you're using that. But I'm using that. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, that analogy, right? So that you have this this tent where your king is. And that you can't actually go into that tent unless you're invited in or you're part of the royal cabinet, as it were, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the Jewish people had the same thing. It's called the sanctuary, at least the one in the wilderness, the tabernacle in the wilderness. And it would travel around with them as they overcame the inhabitants of the land that God had promised to them. Think Jericho, think all these other stories. back. Exactly, again. right? So as they're traveling, there's this tent. This tent is split into two. It has a holy place and a most holy place. And the design was intentional because the design and the rituals around the tent were such that you could not approach if you had some sort of bodily impurity and or frailty. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, there was also sins that you committed that were sins of omission, mm-hmm. meaning that you weren't quite aware they were a sin until later. And then you had to offer a sacrifice, some sort of an offering. So for the kinds of sins that you're ignorant of, like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize I had done this to you 10 years ago. Yeah, that or um, I have some sort of, say, in the middle of the night, I have a bodily fluid that secretes, right? And I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, this thing happened. Hmm. Well, there is a prescription for me to get cleansed because of this ritualistic reasons why that happens but that it happens it happened and then i could approach the tent to the presence of the king only if i had some sort of ritual removal of my impurity in that same way we cannot approach god with sin Mm -hmm. and yet what we're told is that jesus christ the lamb of god in this imagery of a lamb that you would slay before you approach the sanctuary the lamb of god has removed sin from the world and from us. And, and this is why later the, the book will say things like we can now approach the throne of God. How? Tentatively? With boldness and confidence. Which is kind of crazy because if I look inwardly to myself, I know that there's still stuff there. Yes. And, and yet boldly and confidently yes. I can approach the throne. And this is why you don't let sin reign. Because I'm not thinking about sin that actually impedes my progress to approach the royal tent Mm -hmm. is what is happening. I am not just some foot soldier that has no access to the inner sanctum of the king. I am now a son of God because I've been redeemed by the blood of his son. So I have access to the most central interior heart of the Holy of Holies where my King sits. So what he's saying is don't let sin reign in that. Don't believe that you don't have access so that then the mind does not concentrate on the shortcomings that would keep me from 
the inner sanctum, but the mind has actually stayed on all the reasons why I do have access. Yeah. So let's say, just like I'm coming up with this illustration on the spot. Let's see if it do goes it. that way. Uh, think about medieval times. There's a king. He's got a son. The son's out riding on his horse one day, falls, hits his head, gets amnesia. Yeah. He wakes up, and he's not sure who he is. He thinks he's just some random peasant or whatever yeah. the case is, and yet someone eventually finds him and tells him, no, you're the son of of the king. Yeah. Now there's two voices in his head. One yeah. that says that you're nothing and yeah. one that says, no, you're actually this valuable individual. Yeah. Whichever one he chooses to associate yeah. himself with, whichever one he believes yeah. actually dictates how he moves freely about the kingdom and whether or not he has access to his father, the king, yeah. or not. That's really good, man. That's a good illustration yeah, for on the spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was really good. So then what happens is that he gets to present himself to one or two of these ideas. He gets yeah. to present himself only to one of these ideas, I yes. mean. That's what yes. I mean. He only gets one. And, and yeah, this is what Paul is, is getting to at the very end. He's he's highlighting these two different ways that you can live. One mm-hmm. is under the law mm-hmm. and one is under grace. Mm-hmm. You can't actually exist abung, uh, under the two of them at yeah. the same time. you got to pick one or the other, the red pill or, or the, the blue, blue pill. pill. Yes, Morpheus. So, <laughs> Morpheus, tell me, what is the difference between under law and under grace? I think there's a lot of differences. I mean, one of them is one leads to life mm-hmm. one leads to condemnation Romans 5 right we, we talked about the law it, it is this is this thing that's here to increase sin or at least the awareness of our sins and so what happens when we're under the law is we're constantly berated with how we're falling mm-hmm. short of the law and how we're making these mistakes but Romans re- five twenty. Right. If you reside there, what does that produce? Accusation. It produces shame, guilt, condemnation. It can. It produces um, fear. Fear. And That's yet, perfect love casts cast out fear. fear. So mm-hmm. it's it's impossible to live under both of these at the same time. And Paul makes it clear: you don't. You're, you know, sin has no dominion over you. You're not under the law. You're under this other thing. Yeah. And what's interesting about being under law is that being under law is what highlights your sinfulness. Yeah. Comes to increase the trespass. So that if I'm the sort of man that has uh, that bodily secretion in the middle of the night, it's my awareness of the law that actually highlights my impurity. Mm -hmm. So without the law, the law can't highlight my impurity. Right. No law, no highlight of impurity. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, but no highlight of it. This is where the law functions as a lens or a light that shines. As a a teacher. As a teacher, right? To teach you where you've messed up. Where you've messed up. So that then being under law means that I'm very conscious, conscious, conscious. I was messed that up. (laughs) I'm very conscious of my impurity. But being under grace means I'm very conscious of his goodness and the access he's provided. So it would be the example of the jaywalker. Mm -hmm. The jaywalker crosses the street while having already been liberated, right? If I walk across the street, I can choose to be conscious of my jaywalking or I can choose to be conscious of the goodness of the officer who's going to give me that three dollar bonus in spite of. Right. Yeah. But that three dollar bonus doesn't then give me liberty to continue jaywalking. It's supposed to transform me from the inside out. Right. That that change of perspective changes your daily life. Yeah. Because if you operate from this position of being under the law every day, you're concerned. Am I good enough? Yeah. Did I do it? Yeah. And this imposter syndrome, we were talking about this yeah. over lunch, yeah. how you're always feeling like I don't measure up because truth is you don't. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. And that, but, but that is the only way that you view the world. Yeah. And that's a terrible way to live. And that's not the way that God has ever yeah. desired for you to live. Or you can view yourself through the 
value and worth that God has put on you by giving his son and say, I might not be able to earn his love, mm-hmm. but I'm worth it because he says I'm worth it. That's right. So that you present yourselves to that sort of righteousness every day. I don't wake up in the morning to attempt to be conscious of my sins so that I can have a careful and accurate so list. So that way you can know how not to step. Like, right? like one of those Indiana Jones movies, you're going through the temple, yeah. don't step on that stone, yeah. don't step on yeah. that stone. Yeah, no, I wake up every day with the privilege of being a son mm-hmm. who has peace with his God because he's actually liberated me from sin. So that then I present myself to God as one who has been brought from death to life and my body and members to God as instruments for righteousness. God, Father, I thank you so much that I'm a son today. I thank you so much that I have standing before you and that the blessings that you say are mine in Christ Jesus are actually mine. Teach me how you would have me live today, and I know that the purity and power of Jesus and his spirit are alive in me today. That's right. That's how I present myself, That's right? That's right. And the reason I do that is because sin doesn't have dominion to steal away that which God has given me because I'm no longer under law. I'm now under grace. Yeah. That brings up a question he's going to talk about then. Should we keep on sinning? Which we've I talked we about. we already talked about this. Yeah, but Paul wants to talk about it a little oh, bit more. Oh, Paul and his circular arguments. Paul. <laughs> we're coming back to it. Let's finish with this. And we're going to go into the next 10. Sin, not sin. Excuse me. Rewind. Grace without transformation is a perversion. We'll end it right there. We'll talk about that when we pick up in the next 10. See you guys tomorrow.